Uh, I'm going to dismiss the kids, but kids, I need your help first. So I need you kids to come up here on stage. We're going to have a game. Can we have games at church? Is that okay? Good, I hope so. <laughs> We're so excited already. All right, so when I was a kid, we used to play this game called Jump the River. Have you guys ever heard of this game? Yeah. You, know, you know about this game. All right, so here's how you play. So I need you to kind of line up right here. Line up with the line going this way. There we go. So we used two jump ropes, and here's how we did it. We would lay one jump rope down as one side of the river, kind of like that. And then we would lay the other jump rope down as the other bank of the river. And so you had to, I'll scoot it back so maybe we won't hurt the microphone, the speaker. Uh, don't worry, nothing ever goes wrong here. Um, and so what you had to do was you had to come up to the edge. So one of the time, uh, come up to the edge. And I want to see if you can jump the river. All right, you're going to go first? All right. All right, yeah, there we go. All right. Show us what you got, Maggie. Yes. All right. Let's do one more. Yeah. All right, keep going. Nice, with style, with flourish. Yes. All right. So now you're on this side of the river. So as we play this game, the river gets wider and wider. Look at that. You were too cool for school until now. So hold on. Let me make sure and move some of this stuff out of the way. Here, let me set it right here in the way. Um, I'll set it over here. Parents, don't worry. This is perfectly safe. Our church has lots of insurance. All right. So you don't get a running start. You just got to stand at the line. I know. Is it too far? All right, go ahead. Show me your skills. Oh, almost. Thanks. Oh, good try. Come on. Oh, close. No running start. No running start. All right, let's stand back over here. Close. Everybody's going to the river. Oh, wait, we're not ready. Did any of you guys see what almost just happened there? All right, so let's play one more time. We'll leave it right here. All right, stand behind this side. Do you like this game? Is it fun? All right. So I'm going to move the other side of the river over here. Who thinks they can make it? You think running is going to help? You think running would help? All right, so let's ask the audience. Who thinks they can make it? Josh, you want to come up here and try it? Josh, I love you, but you're not making this. You're not. All right, so what if the river was, here, I've got another picture. What if this was the river you had to jump? This. There it is. The Grand Canyon. Yeah, that's right. Evil Knievel tried it, but did he make it? No. <laughs> that was one of his many broken bones. He didn't make it. All right, so today's teaching, thank you all for helping me. Give me a high five. High five. 
Whoa. Two jumps, you think you can make it? All right, so today's teaching is, believe it or not, about jumping a river. You guys can roll out to your kids' praise. Why are you taking your shoes off? Okay. So I let the kids try it. Any adults want to try it? Think you could make it? Yeah, zip line would be better. You only get one jump. That's the rules. Have y'all ever played Jump the River? Have you heard of this game? All right, we'll talk more about it. So we've been in a, a teaching series looking as straight at, clearly Jump the River has everything to do with Jesus and his teaching, right? Um, we've been in a teaching series straight out of Luke, and if you brought your Bibles, you can open them to Luke 16. Uh, in Luke 16, Jesus is going to offer a teaching not about a river, but about a chasm, a canyon. And it is a teaching, at least in part, about money. Everybody's favorite subject at church, I know. I get it. I'm with you. Uh, believe it or not, Jesus has a lot to say about money. Uh, in fact, he has a whole lot to say about money. Maybe the only thing he spoke more about is the kingdom of God. But he knew money was close to our hearts, so it was something he spoke to often. We, uh, if you remember from chapter 12, we talked about the parable of the rich fool. Remember this guy who had bountiful crops and built two barns? And he said, now I can sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. And what happened? That very night, he dies. And Jesus says, you are a fool to store up treasures here on earth and not have a rich relationship with God. In a few chapters from chapter 16, there's a rich man that comes to Jesus and asks, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commands, you know the laws, follow them. And the rich man says, sweet, done it, did the whole thing, followed everyone. And Jesus goes, sweet, awesome, one more thing. <laughs> Go ahead and sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And this rich man's face was turned to sadness, if you remember. And he went away grieving because he was very wealthy. Jesus is going to go on to say, he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It's actually easier for a something, a special animal, to go through an eye of a needle. Yeah, have you heard this? Like these are, these are familiar words. And in chapter 16, leading up to our text today, in verse 13, Jesus says, and I think we have it maybe, uh, maybe on the screen. Jesus says in verse 13, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, and you will be devoted to one and despise the other. No one can serve both God and what? And I love this next line in verse 14. The Pharisees, who Jesus is speaking to, uh, Pharisees would have been the, uh, the good church-going folk. They would have been the religious crowd of the day. The Pharisees were dedicated to everyone knowing the law of God and obeying it. And if you could just obey everything written in the law, man, you would receive incredible blessings. You would be God's favorite. And that's who Jesus is speaking to. 
the Pharisees, who dearly loved their what? Heard all of this and scoffed at him. They dearly loved their money. And when Jesus says, hey, you can't serve God and money, it says they scoffed at him. I looked up this word in Greek, the word scoff in Greek. Like there's, it's actually a combination of two different words. The word, uh, one word meaning out of, and the other word meaning to blow the nose. That's what scoff means. Uh, uh, literally, uh, the Pharisees expelled mucus out of their nose. Uh, when I think of scoff, I think of that, <laughs> that, that kind of expression, but it was more like a, <laughs> that's what they did when they heard, yeah, no. when they heard Jesus' expression, uh, uh, they, uh, it's almost like a Monty Python line, I blow my nose in your general direction, like that's what they did, like, like they, to, in relation to Jesus' teachings, they said, oh, I'm just going to expel mucus, that's my response. They literally, maybe that you've heard this expression, blew him off. So, in response, Jesus ramps it up. You're going to blow your nose at me? I got a parable for you. Let's read it together. In chapter 16, beginning in verse 19, Jesus said... There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. And the crowd said, ew. Finally, the poor man died. And was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried. And his soul went to the place of the dead. In Greek, he, it's uh, Hades. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham. I mean, oh, sorry, I couldn't help myself. Um, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to Dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great, what's the word? Chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I've, I have five brothers, and I want to warn them so they don't end up in the same place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. Does that teach you to 
uh, blow your nose in Jesus' general direction. <laughs> Last week, we told a story that had three characters, uh, an older son, a younger son, and a father. And this week's story also has three characters, but a vastly different message. One of the characters in this story is named Lazarus, which is unique because Jesus doesn't often give us the name of people in his, pa- in his parables, in his teachings. Lazarus simply means the Lord saves. And Lazarus really plays no significant role in our story. He never speaks. He never acts. All we know about him is that he is poor. We know that he longed for scraps from the rich man's table. He was hungry. Uh, in this time, the wealthy, uh, wouldn't, the, they didn't have anything like silverware or or plastic sporks, or any of that kind of stuff. They ate with their hands, and when uh, you wiped your hands off, uh, the really wealthy would wipe their hands on bread and then throw their bread on the floor. That was what Lazarus was craving. But who got it? The dogs. The dogs received the scrap from the table. Dogs are, uh, uh, I know, we have we have any dog lovers here? All right, so... Uh, Good, those cat people, I can't even be around them. Um, <laughs> I got to amen for the front row of that. Um, so I know today we think of dogs as man's best what? Yeah, but in this culture, that's not what, that's not what dogs were at all. Uh, in, in this culture, dogs were, were kind of these like, uh, no, no one had dogs as pets, um, they were, they were kind of the detestable, unclean, uh, um, how's, a, how's a good way to say this? They were, the, they were the scavengers, the vultures, the trash compactors of the day. Are you with me? And so uh, these kind of detestable creatures, not only are they cleaning up the scraps from the master's table, they go to Lazarus for dessert. Or you get this? Is that too gross of an image? Them licking his sores. So that's Lazarus. But in this story is also a rich man. And uh, I don't think this is just any rich man. I think the context shows us that, that this rich man is probably a Pharisee. Remember the nose blowers. I think Jesus is speaking to the religious kind of ethos of that day. Um, and partly because, uh, partly I think that, that the rich man is a Pharisee, partly because the way he was dressed, that this might have been, a, a, we know he wore a purple robe. It might have been a, a something that a Pharisee might have worn. Uh, uh, he also references Abraham. So if you're a Pharisee, Abraham is like your, he's on your all-star team. Like he's your number one idol, the person you want to be with. Um, if you were a Pharisee, uh, if two people died, one who is a poor man and one who is a Pharisee, Abraham would clearly come and rescue the Pharisee. Are you with me? If, if Abraham was ever going to take someone to heaven, it would be the faithful Pharisee. And there's another part of this that's, uh, that's interesting. The Pharisees would have understood the rich man in his, in his fine clothes and gourmet meals, the Pharisees would have interpreted his wealth as um, blessing or favor or righteousness from God. 
Clearly, this man is wealthy and wearing a fine gown and eating gourmet meals because he is such a righteous man. Because if you follow every single jot and tittle of the law, what you will receive is the blessing from God in the form of money. All right, so he's not the first preacher to ever make the asser- this assertion, right? Like uh, that blessing and wealth are, are somehow connected. The wealthy man must have been righteous. He must have been a good guy because he was wealthy. So, not the merriest story Jesus ever told. Let's be honest, everybody in this story dies, right? I like last week's story of the prodigal better, where there's, you know, there's no amount of sin that you can't repent from, and the father is waiting with open arms. But here we see two characters experience vastly different fates. Poor, sore Lazarus is saved while the obviously righteous, good, church-going Pharisee is sent to the place of the dead. Who can make any sense of this? Jesus says, this is the kind of change of fortune, reversal of fortune, you can expect with the coming of God's kingdom. Jesus takes our little world like a snow globe and turns it upside down. Sure, maybe you had gourmet meals and designer clothes. Jesus says, in in your life you had, or Abraham says to the rich man, in your life you had everything you wanted. But in verse 15, Jesus says, right before this story, What this world honors is, what's that word? Detestable in the sight of God. I came across this verse in Revelation this past week. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, verse 17 and 18, it says, You say, I am rich and I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, Blind and naked. And it goes on to say, I advise you to buy gold from me. And he's not meaning literal gold, but heavenly treasures. I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by fire. Then you will be, what's the word? Ah, Then you will have real treasure. And I also advise you to buy white garments for me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. Lazarus may not have had what this world desires, but apparently he had something, he had a great treasure. He had a rich relationship with God. So how do we know the rich Pharisee didn't have a relationship with God. Remember, he was supposed to, right? He'd followed the rules. He'd done everything right. How do we know that, that this wealth wasn't a sign of God's favor? I think the clue is at his gate. Remember what it says? At the rich man's gate... 
lay a poor man named Lazarus. Sure, maybe the rich man had wealth and gourmet meals and fine clothes. But remember what Revelation said. He didn't have eyes that worked right. He didn't have eyes to see. So every day the rich man comes in and out of his gate. What does he see? Every day there's a poor man with dogs gathered around him licking his sores. What does the rich man see? I think he just saw Lazarus as, as kind of part of the landscape. You know, we've talked about this idea of ex carne. Incarne is to put flesh on something, to make something more human. Ex carne is the process of removing flesh and taking something that is human and making it a thing. And I think Lazarus, uh, I think the key to the story is at his gate. For the rich man, Lazarus wasn't, wasn't even a person. He was just there, a thing. And his sin was not that he did the wrong things. The sin was that he did nothing. I think the rich man saw only himself. And in a startling and stunning scene, both Lazarus and the rich man die, and they find themselves on either side of a chasm, on either side of a river. And this is, uh, this is especially startling because apparently while there is a great divide separating them, uh, it, you're not outside of shouting distance, <laughs> Right? And in an incredible moment of irony, it is only on one side of the chasm that the rich man's vision is restored. Because it is only when he gets on this side of the bank does he, for the first time, see who? Lazarus. When he was at his gate, Lazarus never received the slightest glance. And now the rich man sees him clearly and calls out to him by name. It's, it's almost like he's still kind of given orders. You, did you get that sense of, from the story? Hey, tell Lazarus to get over here. Tell that guy to go warn somebody. Last week's story is the story of epic grace, the grace of God, arms wide open, waiting for the return. There's no sin from which you cannot return. And this week's teaching is, well, you had your chance. Right? This week's teaching is there, there comes a point that our actions have consequences, that, that you had a chance. Uh, it, it's, it's too late. It, there comes a point of no one can jump this river. Right? Even Abraham says, his, you know, it's not possible from you to cross from there to here and from there back. It's not possible. You had your chance. And the rich man kind of relents to his fate. He kind of realizes his fate is sealed. And immediately his thoughts turn to who? His family. 
well, I have five brothers. I don't know how the rest of his family felt. I have five, five family members I really like. What do we need to do to get them a warning? Standing in torment. What, what do I need to do to get the rest of my family? I, I need to get this word out. I need to get them a warning. And, and what seems uncharacteristic from, from the Bible really is, is a hard truth for us to learn. But Abraham tells him. Tells him what? The rich man begs, hey, please, please, like, send Lazarus to warn my brothers. They need a warning label on this life. Like, this life needs a warning label. And Abraham says, they had it. Just like you had it. You know the truth of God's word. Like, he has told you. Like, look at, the, look at Moses. Look at the law of the prophets. Like, like you read it. And it didn't seem to make any big difference for you. They have the exact same chance. He was a Pharisee. He would have been an expert in Moses' law. Right? He would have read every single detail again and again. He knew every word by heart. And yet somehow it wasn't enough. And in verse 30... He begs, he says, no, 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 it would be different if someone was sent from the dead. That would be, that would be proof enough for everyone. If someone was sent from the dead, that would convince, no one could deny that. Surely they will repent of their sins. True or false? Is it enough? Even Abraham says, hey, they won't listen to Moses and the prophets. Uh, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. Seems harsh, but I think there's a tough truth there for us. If our hearts are numb to the pain and suffering of others, if people are just part of the landscape, if, if we somehow come accustomed to, if, if human suffering becomes the norm for us, what can change that? You tell me. There is a staunch warning here about self-serving, self-satisfying life and the irrevocability of our future, the irrevocability of, of the decision of God. And maybe that's not even fair. Who made the decision of who goes where? In 1 Timothy 6, it says these words, True godliness with contentment is itself great what? After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be, what's the word? 
But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And then look, you know the next verse, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of what? And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I'll go ahead and invite the worship team back up and just want to share a few closing thoughts with you. Um, Jesus talks a lot about money. But you can make an argument that Jesus never talks about money. Because even in the verse we just read, it's not that money is evil, right? Um, you pull it, pull the money out of your pocket right now. Look in your wallet. Like, is, is money have feelings? Does it, uh, does it make decisions? Uh, does it have inclinations? Is it using some sort of mind force over you? No, it's not money is the root of all evil. It is the love of money. And in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, it's not that the, uh, the rich man's wealth somehow uh, displaced him. It was that the rich man's heart was not in the right place. Jesus' concern, believe it or not, is, is not for your money. Jesus' concern is for your heart. In verse 15 of this same chapter, it says, God knows your hearts. Jesus isn't talking about wealth. He talks about what's really important, our hearts. Even in Luke chapter 12, he says, where your treasure is, there your what? Will be also. Although this story for the Pharisees, for the good church-going folk like you and me, is a check engine light for our heart. Even a few weeks ago, we gave you the challenge to go and sell something and give it to the poor. That's a way of, hey, let me check on this thing inside. Let me check and see what is real contentment for me. What provides real fulfillment? Where is my, my source of, of peace? And where is my source of, of self-worth and value really coming from? Is it what I can earn and what I can achieve and what I can do for myself? Is it all that I followed every rule all the way through? I love the question that comes out of this story. Lazarus, the poor man covered in sores, was lying at the rich man's gate and he never saw him. And so the question for us becomes, is there someone lying at your gate? Is there someone in your life that's just kind of become part of the landscape? 
I don't know if it's the literal homeless guy with the sign on the street corner that you drive by every single day. Or maybe it's a family member that's had a struggle and because of a rift in your relationship, you've kind of been at odds and you just kind of are sitting on on different sides of an argument, just waiting, nothing happening. Who is lying at your gate? Maybe another question is, How far can you jump? Maybe all your effort and striving to do the right thing and to to have the appearance of faith. You're, You're ready to make your leap, to jump the Grand Canyon. But what's the truth? I don't care how good you are. There is something that separates us from God. And you can't bridge it by yourself. I know we've tried. I try too. But there is only one who can bridge your life with God's. And it's not evil can evil. <laughs> but it's Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. So, this morning, have you received the warning? The Pharisees who dearly loved their money blew him off. How about you? In just a moment, we're entering into a time of communion. It's a great place to do that heart check. I pray maybe as you enter in this time, uh, the person at your gate will be brought to the surface. And whoever that person is, like I know already that this is going to take effort on your part. It's going to take work on your part. It's going to take, take time. And, and frankly, I think some of us, we keep our schedule so full, so packed full with all great things so we don't have to stop by our gates. Well, if I just keep myself busy... Maybe to see the person at your game, maybe things in your schedule and your life will need to change. I hope you are willing to make that change. We're here to help you. There's ways we can pray for you or serve you or maybe you're ready this morning to give your life, your heart all the way to Jesus to see him bridge the gap for you to cross the space that you never could then I'm just going to move to the back and I'll receive you there. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Uh, Convicting and powerful. Uh, Frankly, God, as I've struggled through this teaching this week, it's made me, it's kind of made me nervous a little bit. I'm constantly looking over my shoulder of who did I miss? Who did I pass? Who did I not have time for? So Father God, I I pray that you would do a work on my heart as, as well as all of our hearts. Because it's not possible for us to fulfill the law, to love you without loving our neighbors. It's something that that requires more than just our words, but it requires our intention, our actions, our time, our focus, our energy. Help us to teach our kids to pay attention, to be constantly aware of the needs of others. 
So many, Father God, are trying to do it without you. It's a tragic and horrible story, Father God. The rich man gets in this place he, he got himself into and he can't get out of. But God, that doesn't have to be our story. So Father God, I pray this morning for those who are here, if they have not accepted Christ, your son, Jesus, into their life, that they have not received his gift, his promise of bridging the gap of our own sin and brokenness, then, Father God, I pray that they would move now, today, that they would not delay. And accept the gift of your son, of his blood, and his body broken for us on the cross. We love you, Father. And it's in your son Jesus' name that all of us together, everyone says, amen.